Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will be discussing the end of the fiscal year regulatory budget with AAF's Director of Regulatory Policy, Dan Bosch. Dan, thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks for having me. How have you been holding up through all the uh, quarantining and stay at home? I think I've been doing okay. Um, I was excited to put a jacket on for today's occasion. I almost went with a tie um, because I had realized I haven't tied one since March, so I may not remember how to tie one, but ultimately I I opted against it. You have to start looking up some like YouTube clips about how to retie your tie and everything. Um, right. I have I've been doing all that with uh, cutting my own hair. I've been you know just googling and YouTubing uh, how to cut your own hair, which is you know a little different. But here we are. So let's jump into things. Uh, the end of September generally means the end of the federal government's fiscal year, um, and thus the conclusion of the Trump administration's fiscal year 2020 regulatory budget. In this budget, the administration set a goal for how much regulatory savings it would achieve. Did they hit their goal? They did. So they set a goal of about $51 billion in net savings, and they actually reached $171 billion, Um, though it's a little bit more nuanced than that, I think, as we'll discuss uh, later on. Yeah. So just quickly, for those who uh, don't follow federal regulations as closely as you do, um, would you explain what exactly the regulatory budget is? Sure. I think... The easiest way to think of it is similar to the government's budget, where they set a cap on how much an agency can spend in a year. A regulatory budget sets a goal for how much economic costs an agency's regulations can impose on the economy. So in the Trump context, um, a number of agencies actually had negative cost caps or savings targets uh, in actuality. So that's how they can come up with a number that results in net savings, like we saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I know for like years, um, they talk about, you know, two for one type of thing. Is that a way to achieve that two for one goal where for every new regulation you have, you get rid of two regulations on the books? Is that kind of what the thinking is behind this? Yeah, that's part of it. It's, that's mostly the marketing behind the regulatory budget. It's easier for people to remember two out for one in versus a regulatory budget. Right, right. Regulatory savings or costs, for, um, for that matter, aren't something you hear a lot about in the news every day. I mean, it's just not part of you know the 24-hour news cycle as much as we probably would like to see it there. So put this into context for people. Why does the administration's approach to the rec- to this regulations matter? Well, it has to do a lot with how businesses use their resources. Um, so if an administration is focused on adding new regulations to the books, businesses are thinking, what are the new regulations that are coming down I'm going to have to comply with? I need to conserve some of my resources that I might be able to use elsewhere, such as investing in growing my company or hiring more employees uh, to save for those regulatory burdens that I'm unsure of. What we've seen with the Trump administration is they've been largely deregulatory um, and they've limited greatly the amount of new regulations they're putting on the books. So businesses can feel a little freer to use their resources, especially now um, in the COVID emergency, uh, to kind of bolster some of their payroll or invest in the company a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Is there an uncertainty argument to be made here? Like it gives businesses more certainty that, you know, they're not going to have to come up against these, you know, you know, these new regulations and red tape, as you hear a lot in the news. For sure. And then that's part of freeing up those resources. If businesses know, I'm not going to have to worry about the Trump administration regulating me out of business. Um, you know, they can use those resources elsewhere. Right. Um, 
now looping back to the Trump administration's regs budget, uh, the results from that, um, which agencies hit their goal? Um, were there any big surprises in your mind? Well, the two agencies that really exceeded their savings goal um, by a lot were the Department of Transportation and the Environmental Protection Agency. And that was largely through, or not largely, it was basically entirely through one rule, which is um, a rule that has to do with rolling back some of the Obama administration's vehicle emissions limits um, into the future. So though they registered huge savings from that, and that's called the safe vehicles rule, safer, affordable, uh, fuel efficient vehicles rule. And so that was the big deregulatory rule. Um, and then on the cost side, we saw uh, the Department of Homeland Security issue a bunch of immigration rules that were fairly expensive. And then also, I guess to your surprise part, um, Health and Human Services, which has led with the most savings the previous two fiscal years, actually had the second most costs added this year. Is that largely due to COVID, COVID-19 stuff or is that is it even independent of that? It's actually independent of that. Um, the rule that was really the costly one, it's kind of interesting because it could potentially have beneficial economic effects. It was actually a rule around streamlining the IT infrastructure for healthcare. Um, so it added 12 billion in costs, but there could be you know, economic savings as a result of it down the road. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've already answered this, but what were the biggest rules, both in terms of costs and savings, um, other than maybe some of the rules you just mentioned? Um, well, the safe rule really is the biggest. And so that's kind of the one we're talking about. That saved almost $200 billion um, yeah. just in that one rule. And so when we go back and look at, well, they saved $171 billion on net for the year for their budget. All of that comes from one rule that saved more than that total amount. Uh, so that's really what drove the regulatory budget this year. Gotcha. Um, okay, so let's talk about the safe rule. I mean, that's the biggest one. I think you've written about it a number of times throughout yeah. the year. What is, what is this rule and what does it do? So what it does is it reduces the amount of fuel efficiency increases that fuels will have to achieve in the future. So the Obama administration had imposed um, a standard that would, you know, sort of drastically increase how efficient vehicles had to be from years 21 through 26. And so the Trump rule kind of dials those back a little bit. There are still marginal increases over that time, but it's not as excessive as the Trump administration or the Obama administration would have imposed. Right, right. So essentially, this is just trying to replace um, an older, an Obama era rule with something that is maybe more economically friendly, or is it just? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's it's typical of what we saw under the Trump administration so far. I mean, they focused a lot on sort of modifying Obama administration rules that hadn't gone into effect yet uh, to kind of minimize some of the economic costs of those. Gotcha. So there were there was some media on the funky accounting on you know with this rule while it was being created being you know going through that long process that all regs mm-hmm. regulations and deregulations have to go through um, which you by the way have a great video about out there that we we did a couple of years ago now I think two years ago but then again everything was blending together at this point with, with <laughs> here anyways but what was the concerns there around around those media reports and the in the funky accounting and were those problems resolved in the end? Well, so some of those media reports said that this rule that we thought was going to be massively deregulatory was actually going to impose costs in the range of like 30 to $35 billion. And so what it actually turned out to be was that when you are doing the economic accounting for a rule, you look at the savings of the rule and you look at the cost of the rule. The cost side of the rule went up by $34 billion. And so that's what everyone was focusing on in those reports. 
But those were kind of balanced out by the saving side of the rule. So what they meant was that the amount of cost that the rule was going to impose went up, but those were counteracted by increase in savings. So it sort of ended up working out in the end. Sounds like some some good math there. <laughs> uh, you noted that without the state rule, the administration would have come in well under its deregulatory goal for the year. Um, this raises the question of whether the administration has done all it can in terms of deregulation. Do you think the administration has reached that peak uh, deregulation point? I think in one sense they have, and that is the sense of eliminating rules that are on the books. Uh, once a rule is actually in effect and businesses have spent all the money to comply with it, it doesn't make a lot of economic sense to actually remove it unless it's continuing to add new burdens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what the Trump administration did, sort of what I alluded to earlier, is they focused a lot on the Obama administration rules that hadn't gone into effect yet, because that's where they could actually get economic savings by preventing those costs from going into effect. Um, so they pulled those back and uh, they're basically out of those now. Um, so the the amount of savings they're going to be able to find going into the future, I think, peaked. But they can continue on the path that they've gone on, which has been to really minimize the amount of new regulation that they put out there. Um, so in that sense, I think they'll continue to be deregulatory. And that is actually very important for going back to the certainty stuff that we talked about earlier, which is businesses will continue to know, you know, even if more rules that are already on the books aren't coming off, I know that there aren't going to be new burdens going in the future. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of at that point where we might not see net savings, but we're going to see a slower growth in rate. Is that, does that sort of right? The slower growth in the amount of of regulation costs? Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, Certainly if, if the Trump administration gets another term, I think we'll continue to see that. Right, right. This year, we also saw a number of rules around uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I mean, it's kind of encompassed everything this year in terms of policy out of Washington. Um, You and your colleague, uh, Dan Goldbeck, have been tracking these rules uh, in that in your infographic that we keep pinned on the front page uh, featured section. Mm -hmm. Um, What have you what have you been focusing on with that? Well, so what we've we've actually. uh, developed a tracker to track all these regulations, which you can access on American Action Forum's website. Uh, I think it's right on the homepage. And so we've tracked almost 1,500 now um, actions that have been issued by the federal government in response to COVID um, by, by executive or by regulatory agencies. And so we've been trying to focus on what are the rules that are providing relief to people um, and to businesses, as well as what are those that are restricting what people can do. Um, so we, we've been focused heavily on that. And it's been sort of interesting to see how the government has responded to this. Um, but for the most part, it, it seems as though the Trump administration is trying to remove, at least temporarily, um, a number of the burdens that are, could negatively impact the economy that we don't need right now. Are these rules accounted for in the regulatory budget? Are they outside the regulatory budget? Is this... Like- mm-hmm. So they're outside of it because there are some exemptions from the regulatory budget, things like national security or uh, other national emergencies, like we're witnessing now with the health emergency. Um, those are outside. And, you know, we also saw an, a couple of huge rules that would have added costs that were exempted for national security region, reasons surrounding technology in China. Um, so there are plenty of economic costs and savings that are that occur um, outside of the scope of regu- the regulatory budget.
Mm-hmm. And are these are these rules permanent, or can we expect them to be rolled back? So the administration has they issued an executive order over the summer to try to make as many rules um, that have been sort of eased or temporarily relieved during the COVID crisis. They've directed agencies to come up with a list of those rules that can be made permanent um, of that relief. So I would expect some agencies to issue something uh, soon in that regard. Um, and I think the ultimate effectiveness of that effort is going to depend on whether or not the Trump administration gets a second term. Fair enough. We'll find out in, a, in about a month or so. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. Just yesterday, you published um, a new paper along with your intern on the impact of the legal challenges to the administration's new rules. What did that paper find? Well, so what got us interested in this is that we we saw a number of media reports about how the Trump administration is facing an extraordinary rate of defeat of its regulatory actions um, in the courts. And so we wanted to just take a look and say, well, using the regulation rodeo that AAF has, um, the database that has all the economic costs and savings in it, see if we can quantify some of these costs that might have been blocked from going into effect or savings that may have been blocked. And what we found is that the net total of the rules that have been blocked that also have estimated economic costs is that the net savings number resulted in like $1.8 billion, which is less than 2% of all savings that the Trump administration has issued uh, over the four years. So it's really a pretty small amount. And interestingly, actually, uh, regulatory actions that they put out, so those that have costs, have actually been defeated in court at a higher rate than those that have savings. Hmm. And so those lawsuits really aren't holding things up in terms of, you know, putting things into effect and enacting policy. Is that right? Yeah, at least among rules that have estimated savings. There are some actions um, related to immigration and and some other things they've done that have no economic effects estimated that have been blocked. And I think there certainly is some merit to the idea that the Trump administration has lost more than previous administrations amongst its regulatory actions. But at least among those with estimated costs or savings, uh, it didn't really bear out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the the rules you at least hear about in the news that get the most, you know, lawsuit attention are around those immigration rules that that are constantly being um, argued in the courts at this point. Yeah, and it's also things like permitting decisions for individual projects. That's where they've they've seen a bunch of defeats, um, and those have sort of those are very isolated economic effects. Gotcha. Well, Dan, thanks for talking us through those regulations. Uh, the regulations news, um, the regulatory budget. I'm sure you're going to be keeping track of this regardless of the outcome on November through Reg Rodeo, great site that AAF runs, that you run. I don't know. You want to say a few words about that about that site before we break? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just a site where we keep track of all these regulatory costs and savings. Um, every rule in the Federal Register that has an estimated economic effect, we put on there. Um, my colleague, Dan Goldbeck, does a great job making sure that's updated on a weekly basis. So I would encourage people to, to check it out. Um, and I think as we go beyond the election, it's going to be incredibly interesting to see what happens both in terms of how the election impacts what regulatory decisions are made um, in the last few months of the year. Awesome. Well, Dan, thanks again for walking us through this. Before I let you go, I do have to ask, how are you feeling about your 4-0 bills right now? Feeling really good about the bills. I'm not feeling as good about the potential for the season to continue at this point. Seems like uh, there are new new uh, teams being affected by uh, the yeah. coronavirus yeah, know, I saw, I saw. on a weekly or daily basis. So it's, it's not great right now. 
I saw the Titans uh, just had two more, two or three more players get tested positive. Patriots just had another one. Of course, my team, Patriots, uh, our star cornerback is is now out for this week. But who knows? Baseball made it through it. Let's see. Let's see if we can uh, hopefully we get some football for the rest of the season. Hope so. We could really use it. That's for sure. Absolutely. Dan, thanks again for joining us. Of course. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.